You're listening to Your Financial Compass with Scott Vallon. These shows are designed to provide information to both pre- and post-retirees so you can make well-informed decisions about your financial future. Our Financial Compass process goes beyond traditional holistic planning. We care as much about you and your lifestyle as we do about your plan. At the Bullman Wealth Group, we want to help you define what matters most and inspire you to go and do it. Your host is Bullman Wealth Group financial advisor, Scott Vallon, who for more than a decade has made a difference in his clients' lives by providing financial leadership. Hello there, and welcome to the next edition of the Your Financial Compass podcast. My name is Scott Vallon, and I'm a financial advisor with the Bullman Wealth Group in Roseville, California. In every one of these shows, we want to look into a different subject do a dive into it, walk through some of the facts, walk through some of the information, and then hopefully give you something practical to walk away with. And today's topic is one that is not fun for me to discuss, probably anyone, and that is what I would call the elephant in the room, and that is the dreaded R word, recession. We're hearing it all the time. Um, Some folks say we're heading into a recession in 2023. It's inevitable. Some say we're already there. I think you can make strong arguments either way. But the point is, there is a good chance if we're not there already, we're heading into a recession. So it's like, well, what can we learn about it? What's caused it? So let's break it down like this. We're going to look at it in three ways. One, how did we get here? What's causing it? Two, What are some of the past recessions we've dealt with and some of the facts about those? So we're going to look at the last two recessions prior to what might be the next one. And then finally, what are some practical things that we can do to try to reduce our risk during it? You know, what are some practical things we can do to, you know, maybe changes in our portfolio or spending or things to expect? So those are the three big areas we're going to cover And as always, as I say every episode, if anything you hear comes to mind, you have some questions, you can always reach out to our office or send an email to ask at bullmanwealth.com. So that's ask at B-U-L-M-A-N wealth.com. So without further ado, we're going to start off with how in the world did we get here? What happened? What are the culprits? And why are we staring this recession issue straight in the face? And there's a number of factors, and we probably can't cover them all, but we'll cover some of the main ones. So we think back to when COVID hit, back in March 2020, when it really struck the market, the stock market, and the market dropped dramatically as fast as it ever has. And while that was terrible, it was jumped back pretty quick. It was what's called a V-shaped recovery in the market from May 2020 and on just continued to fly. But now, over about two and a half years later, we're really starting to see the residue of, of some of those issues. You know, there was, you know, the COVID stimulus, which led into th- supply chain disruptions, which means things that used to be a lot easier to get are not as easy as they used to be. If you've been trying to buy a used car in the last couple of years, you understand that. Or not just a used car, a car in general, uh, amongst other things. My wife and I bought a car in uh, July 2021, and we paid a lot more for it than we would have bought it 
or than we would have paid even a year prior. And, and folks are still seeing that. But all these supply chain issues, it's like a big uh, a log jam or, or bottleneck. And then because of all these things, you know, it's it's things are getting more expensive. Inflation is rearing its ugly head. And while we were just referencing cars being more expensive, a lot of things are more expensive. I saw a stat the other day. I like coffee. Well, in fact, I love coffee. Drink it every day. Coffee is 27% higher than it was before. Health insurance is shooting up. All these, I mean, I could go on and on. You see it on your grocery bill. You see it on your cable bill, your health insurance bill. It's all going up and probably, well, there's a good chance it might keep going up. What's happened is the, the feds have had to raise interest rates to try to battle it. And, you know, that's they're trying to raise the interest rates to cool things down and really slow down that inflation where, you know, depending on what stats you look at, inflation is over 8%. They want it to be closer to 2 and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, and some folks say, oh, they're raising it too quick. Some fake folks say they're not raising it enough. But all of these things are causing turbulence in the market, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. But on top of all that, you know, there's issues in the world as a whole. It's not generally centralized to just the United States. Uh, earlier this year, we have, and still dealing with it, the Russia and Ukraine conflict. And that's caused oil shortages. When there's oil shortages, gas gets more expensive. I know you've noticed that. When you've gotten gas here in California, you think you're paying high gas. Well, come to California, we're paying even more. It's but it's a pain for everyone, all jokes aside. So it's those factors that's just causing this kind of tidal wave of issues. And when we think about it, these factors they can define the economy over the coming months, if not coming years. You know, if we want to be dramatic about it, and one of the things that we look at is, which which has kind of be, happened out of all of this, is is the dollar. The dollar has gotten really strong, and what happens is there's an index called the ICE index, and it tracks the 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 value of the dollar. And it came out in 1985, and the ICE index is saying this is the strongest we've seen the dollar since the index's creation back in 1985. And when one sense, hey, it's as an American, that sounds kind of cool, but it causes a lot of issues. Um, and when the dollar gets that strong, it starts to cause issues in other countries. We think our inflation here is high, and it is, but it's even higher elsewhere around the world. Europe and in the broader world, they're seeing greater inflation rates than we are here and, and like I said, even though inflation is affecting us here, it's not doing so at the same rate as, as it is the rest of the world. And one of those reasons is the strong dollar. It leads to those inflation pressures in other countries because it incentivizes uh, foreign markets to you know, kind of ditch their currencies in, in favor of ours. So that starts to cause issues over there. And then other drawbacks is it hurts imported goods. In terms of it makes imported goods here in the United States even more expensive. And unfortunately, we get a lot of things imported. We're seeing all those things going up in price. And it's just this kind of cycle that's affecting everyone. And, and you know, I always think that the, the world is shrinking all the time, especially the world economy. And, and no one's really immune 
for what we're seeing right now. And all of this is is kind of flowing into the U.S. stock market and, and you know the world stock market making things really volatile. That's, you know, you don't need me to remind you when you see your 401k statement, your IRA statement, your investments, they're getting slammed this year. Pretty much anyone that has money invested in the market has lost money in those accounts. Like generally I look at the S&P 500 first, which is a stock market index. It's the 500 largest companies in the country. It's down, as I record this in late October, it's down almost 20%. It was down much worse or much, it was down further just a month ago, market's been a little bit more positive here in October, but the point is it's down. And all of this is, you know, it's all interconnected because you look at, um, think of a stock market index like the NASDAQ. That's generally more tech-related uh, medical companies, uh, what are called small cap companies. These are the companies that are having to borrow a lot of money to try and grow and try to, you know, bring out a new patent or, or what have you and just really hopefully explode in a good way. And for years, they were able to borrow money at a cheap rate. And now, like we said, as the feds have raised interest rates, it's more expensive to borrow money. And now these companies, it's too expensive for them to do that. And they're having to clam up a bit and investors are pulling money away. So that's why you see the NASDAQ, as I record this, is down almost 30% for the year. But the point is, the market's getting getting slammed and a lot of that is from what we're seeing but all of this also creates the fear the fear index you know the fear of the unknown i know there's a lot of folks that have seen this before they saw this in 87 they saw this in 2000 2001 they saw this in 2008 and they're like oh not again and some folks move straight into cash but there's just all this fear and it's moving money out of certain areas and that fear drives money out of the market and just helps precipitate the downfall. You know, it's just a lot of human nature. In one sense, you want to feel, uh, you understand why people feel that way, but it also just causes bigger issues because of these reactions. And I get a lot of questions. It's like, well, how, is this like the 08 recession? And, and we'll cover that more here in a few minutes. I don't think it's quite that bad, but we still aren't exactly sure how that's going to unfold. And, you know, a lot of that was due to private banks and, and we'll cover that kind of here in the second second segment. But, you know, I could spend, I'm already at over 10 minutes in, um, but all of these issues, it just it's causing a lot of, you know, what I call a sea of opinions. You know, in one sense, you go to any financial website, you go to any cable news or any local news or any news in general, and everyone has an opinion you see all these headlines, so-and-so says this is going to be worse than anything we've seen. So-and-so says, hey, this is now the right time to invest. I mean, you can ask 10 people, you probably get seven, eight different opinions. But the sea of opinions just further amplifies that fear of the unknown and, and makes matters worse. But as I said, I could go on and on about the things causing it, but that's it in a nutshell. Those are the factors that have really gotten us to this point as we near the end of 2022. So it's like, okay, let's just say we're heading into a recession. This is what got us here. The next segment, we're going to talk about, hey, what were some past recessions we've dealt with? What caused those? What became of them? And maybe give us a little bit of clarity of what we can expect here. And, and folks, we always have to remind ourselves of this. It will end at some point. And that's the good news. We've seen it before. This is nothing new. We've seen these before. But it's always good to look back historically to see 
What are some of the things we learned from past recessions? So that's what we're going to cover in the next segment. So when we look back historically at recessions, obviously the one that comes to mind regularly is the Great Depression. And we could spend a lot of time on that, but just for the sake of time, it happened so long ago, we're going to skip by that one. Not that it wasn't important, but for the sake of this, we're going to focus on the last two major recessions that we had. One was in the mid-70s into the early 80s, and then obviously the other was uh, the Great Recession of the late 2000s. So we look, rewind, to the 70s. Was this recession, in a technical sense, lasted from November of, of 1973 to March 1975. Some of you listening probably remember this. I was born in 1980. I don't, but I'm sure if I asked my mom about it, she'd certainly remember. But a lot of it came from oil issues. And you know, oil, we think it's high now. Well, back then, oil prices quadrupled. And this just really started the domino effect of issues happening. And it tipped the balance for an economy that was already struggling with the devaluation of the dollar. You know, I was saying earlier, the value of the dollar right now is as high as it's been since 1985. Well, back in the mid-70s, it was pretty low. And you throw that in with the oil issues, and then you throw in another ingredient of high U.S. trade, budget deficits, weakening dollar, all of these things created inflation, you add inflation in a weak economy, and we had stagflation. You know, kind of that crazy word. Stagflation was created, and some folks look back on it and say the feds didn't have a good monetary policy in effect. And it just really caused a lot of issues, and the economy was in flux throughout the 70s into the early 80s due to, to this inflation. Unemployment got exceptionally high. And as I said, many attribute that you know, the lack of a rebound in the economy to the inconsistent monetary policy. So what really ended that particular recession was back in, in 1982, the feds, they shifted away from tightening the money supply, which, you know, generally helps with dealing with inflation. They wanted to start to ease up, make it easier to borrow, focus on lowering short-term rates, you know, banks were able to manage their balance sheets, and it really finally got inflation under control, which then got long-term interest rates under control, and just we finally got back into some economic growth. But you know, as you saw, we said that the recession started in, in the early 70s. We weren't fully out of the weeds until the early 80s. But then we go into you know, the last real recession we dealt with, which was the Great Recession. Of, of the late 2000s. And, you know, and if we look at the technical stats of this, it's from December 2007 to June of 2009. And one of the main culprits was private banks, under regulation of those private banks. And, you know, and I hate to use this phrase, but it was almost like the Wild West. Uh, you know, people were getting loans that they probably shouldn't have gotten, you know, maybe not have qualified for. A lot of money was just getting tossed around. And then a lot of those homes were foreclosed on. There just wasn't a lot of oversight with the private banks. And once eyes were starting to focus on it, we realized the issue, how big the issue was. And this really started the downturn and it caused a huge bear market which is a bad thing in the stock market. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of us can remember that the at, at its worst point, 
the S&P 500 was down 57%. You know, I know my parents were already retired then, but they had some friends that did retire right around 08. And do you think their plans changed? Some of you listening might might have had that same thing. It's just when, when we see our accounts drop by 40 to 50%, I've talked to people that are now clients that at the time their accounts dropped 60%. I mean, it's just a game-changing kind of loss that we had. You know, in, in the midst of all that, we had oil issues again. A lot of you know, a lot of the times when these recessions hit, we feel like we've never seen it. But I always say, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. So there's a certain tendencies that always creep up. Be it money policy, monetary policy, interest rates, be it oil issues, but it lasted for a while. And finally, as the regulation of the private banks kind of got things under control. You know, finally, that got the banks able to get to a point where they could relax their monetary policy again to start loaning that money out to companies trying to grow. And, and that brought down the interest rates, which finally allowed us to rebound. You know, as I said a few minutes ago, it lasted from December 07 to June of 09. <laughs> Some folks, it seemed like it's still in effect, but these things always sort themselves out and always have a way of correcting themselves, but it doesn't make it any easier when we're in the midst of it. And that's really what I want to focus on in this last section is, okay, if we're going into this potentially a next recession, what can we do now to try to battle it so it doesn't feel as detrimental as some of the ones that we've seen in the past? So that's what we're going to focus on in this last segment. One of the ways that I look at this current market volatility we're dealing with when I'm talking to people is, is I use an analogy of it raining outside. So if we're, say the market is being outside when it's raining. If you're invested in the market, we're all outside. We're all getting rained on. Some of us have umbrellas. Some of us might be in a car. Some of us are just standing there getting rained on. What I mean by all this is, if we're invested in the market, there's no way we've been immune from what we've seen. You've lost value in your account. You know, maybe you had an umbrella, so you didn't lose as much. Maybe you're just standing there getting soaked and you've lost more money. So misery loves company. We're all there. Okay. So putting that there, I get the question a lot. Well, I'm just going to move into cash and wait it out. And you can make an argument in that sense, but you can look at the numbers generally the worst days in the market are followed by some of the best days. You know, they're always, not always, in many instances, they're very close together, which means, say we get scared and move our money into cash, well, what if a week later things fly back? Well, we've missed a lot of that. In a sense, it makes, you know, you could say, well, I'll move, in a, I'll move into cash, but I'll get back in when the timing is right. We're never going to know when the timing's right. There was a saying I heard once that I, that I really like, time in the market is, is always going to work better than timing in the market. So assuming we're all invested and not hopping into cash, then it's time to see what is my risk tolerance? Think of it like this. I'm 42. I'm not retiring anytime soon. So my risk tolerance is relatively high because this money that I'm investing, I'm not touching it for a while. My mom is 75. She doesn't want any risk. She's retired. She doesn't want any risk because she's at a different stage of her life. So then you look at the ages in between. 
So generally younger folks are more inclined, hey, you know what, I'm, uh, I can ride it out because I'm going to keep adding money into this. And it's a little easier to stomach that route than someone who's in their 50s, 60s, they're going to retire in a few months, in a few years. It's going to hit them harder. And what that means is it comes down to that timeline or the timing of it. It's like, well, if you're going to retire in, well, it makes me think of a, a couple that I'm now working with. We met earlier this year. And when, and this happens a lot, when I sit down with someone, we look at their portfolio of how they're invested. The risk is relatively high compared to what they think it is and what they want it to be. You know, this guy in particular, he had said, he's like, I set these, this portfolio up 20 years ago. What's that when he was in his 40s? And as I was saying earlier, like in my case, I can take more risks risk than someone in their 60s just because of my timeline is totally different. So he's like, yeah, it's probably time to make a change. Where I'm going with this is, do you know how your portfolio is set up in terms of how much risk it's taking? A lot of us have been too afraid to look at our statements because it's just going to be bad news. You're like, hey, you know what? I just keep throwing them away. But it might help to pull it out and see, is how my portfolio invested, is it in alignment with what my true risk tolerance is? Because if it's not, it's probably time to make a potentially make a change, especially if you're nearing retirement or maybe you're already there, where it's like, hey, I don't want to lose as much. You know, Am I positioning myself in a spot where I'm not going to feel this as much as you know, if, if I had a portfolio of a 40-year-old. So that's just a long way of saying reevaluate how you're set up. Maybe you've done that and you've already made tweaks. Maybe you haven't, you've been afraid to, but it would help to talk to someone like me or myself, someone at a firm or another advisor to have that evaluated for you just to get a better feel for it. Because if things might be choppy for all in the market, well, how can we kind of position to ride it out? Maybe get a slightly bigger umbrella. I can't go into the specifics today. That would be uh, for a different podcast or a one-on-one discussion. But look at your portfolio. Is it in alignment with your true risk tolerance and your stage of life timeline? So you think of timeline. Another thing at this point is, hey, maybe I was going to retire in January. But now... <laughs> One way to battle is like is to say, maybe I need to reevaluate that. Maybe my job isn't so bad and I can stick around for another year or two, kind of ride this out. Because again, it's one thing to be still working in a recession, retiring into it is a whole nother battle. So it's like, hey, maybe I stick around for a little longer. I talked to a guy last night. He's going to retire from his main job. He's going to go part-time. Talked to actually two people yesterday. That was their plan. Maybe you segue into part-time retirement, which would allow a couple things. One, you're still earning income. You're not having, more than likely, not having to pull money from your investment accounts. So you kind of let them sit on the sideline and hopefully grow. Because it's one thing for your account to be losing money in, in a you know downturn like this, but if you're also pulling money from it at the same time, it's you know kind of a, a boat with two leaks in it. So it, it can, by working, still earning some income, you're allowed to or you're able to keep that on the sideline a little longer. And two, it might allow your Social Security. Maybe you don't need to tap into that as early, and we know Social Security will keep creeping up. So sometimes it's just a matter of reevaluating your your retirement timeline and pushing it back. And, you know, maybe you're so sick of your job you just can't take it anymore, and 
there's a whole uh, um, mental health aspect to it. Or maybe you have a job that has a really healthy pension. Uh, I talked to a, someone in law enforcement yesterday. He's got a great pension, going to have a really good one. That's a whole different story. But if you are going to be relying on your retirement accounts, say your 401k or IRAs or something like that, maybe you start to reevaluate your timeline and say, hey, you know what? I can stick it out another year, another two years. It's at least worth you know, the time to sit down and think it out. What makes sense for your situation? Because again, once we retire, we want to stay that way. We don't want to go back to work. And as I told you earlier with my parents, I knew that they knew people that had retired that had to go back to work. And I, I've met several people over the years that had to do that back in the 08 downturn. People that retired at the end of 08, early 09 were forced to go back to work because they lost so much money in their retirement accounts. You don't want to be one of those people. So we're at about the 26-minute mark. You've probably heard enough of my voice at this point. I could probably go on and on. But as I said earlier, I just wanted to cover a few things with this whole recession topic. One is assuming we're entering one or we're there or we might enter one, how do we get here? Two is let's look back at history. We looked back at two different recessionary periods in the 70s and then uh, the Great Recession of the late 2000s. And then finally, just a few tips to kind of combat what we're doing now of reevaluating how our portfolio was set up in our retirement plan. And do I need to make adjustments or do I need to talk to someone who can show me how to make adjustments? Or, hey, you know what? I was thinking about retirement, but I know that I'm going to have to rely on my retirement plan, my 401k, for example, and I don't know that I want to start pulling from it now. Maybe I'm going to work a little bit longer, keep adding to it, you know, let this market cycle kind of correct itself and come back out on the other side. And you know what? I don't mind my job. I could work for a couple more years or another year. Again, we could go on and on about different things, but I just wanted to make it a useful, efficient part of your or use of your time as we looked at these things. So, hey guys, if you have any questions, as I said earlier, you can send us an email to ask at bowmanwealth.com. We'll be happy to chat with you some more. But as always, I'm happy you tuned in. I hope you learned something. I hope you got an action item to take. And I'm excited for the next episode. And I'm always excited to do these things, believe it or not. It's kind of fun to record them. But now my part's done. You get to hear the really fast-forwarded version of our legal disclosures. But have a wonderful day and thank you for listening. This show's content is for information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax or legal advice or provide the basis for any financial decisions, nor is it intended to be a projection of current or future performance or an indication of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Opinions expressed are solely those of Bullman Wealth Group and our editorial staff. The information contained in this material has been derived from sources believed to be reliable, but it is not guaranteed accuracy and completeness and does not purport to be a complete analysis of the materials discussed. Any statements of opinions expressed should in no way be construed or interpreted as a solicitation to sell or offer to sell advisory services to any residents of any state other than the states where otherwise legally permitted. Advisory services are offered through Chris Bowman Inc., DBA, Bowman Wealth Group, and Brookstone Wealth Advisors, registered investment advisors. Insurance products are offered and sold through Chris Bowman Inc., DBA, BWG Insurance Agency.